There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome to America Can We Talk. If you're one of our listeners who listens on our Facebook Live, we just lost a signal, and in the next break, I will hook it back up. We lost a signal, and I guess it dropped um, our Facebook Live. Okay, welcome to America Can We Talk. My first five tonight, I want to tell you about a town hall I went to for a local congressman here in Texas, and uh, maybe many of you know of him, Congressman Mike Burgess, 26th Congressional District of Texas, and I want to tell you about the town hall and some of the takeaways from it. First, this is a town hall in an area, in a Republican area, where this uh, congressman won well over 60% of the vote. This was his, I believe, 99th town hall he's held since he was elected in 2002. And the entire purpose of it is for him to show up at the town hall. Anyone in the district can come and media can come. So after, you know, Pledge of Allegiance and they had the Boy Scouts to present the colors uh, and thanked, it was in a church, let the pastor uh, give a short blessing and welcome people. The entire purpose was people to line up on the side. They had one long line and asking Congressman Burgess questions. And (laughs) the reason I want to tell you about this, there's a couple of points to hit. But one is there were about 200 people there. The previous one, which was either one or two weeks prior to that, there were 1,500 people. So the crowd was somewhat diminished. But the people lined up along this side. I think I counted 45 people got in line, one line, and so they could ask a question, he would answer. And, you know, the takeaways from it, I'm going to share in just a moment. But just to tell you the subject matter that people um, decide to ask about, they had, um, he had out of that entire line, three people who were supportive of him in some way. Three people who had one asked, said, you know, essentially, I work hard, pay taxes, and I want you to do something about illegal immigration because these people don't have the right to be here and they use our resources and all that. So one person said, because he talked about it was Earth Day that day, and Congressman Burgess had talked about the fact that the CO2 levels are actually diminished in America um, since 1998 has been going down. So someone got up to say, you know, the reason the CO2 levels have gone down um, is that fracking is so popular and fracking. <laughs> so this brought audience booze. They couldn't stand hearing something good about fracking. And the third person who was very positive essentially said, look, I'm one of your voters. I, he said, you know, you took this district by whatever it was, 60.2%. You are doing exactly what the voters elected you to do. We want you to build the wall. We want you to repeal Obamacare. We want you to increase military spending. He had a great deal of um, detail about his, um, you know, how much money is being spent, how shorthanded the military is, what needs to happen. Uh, And the last one was uh, we want you to decrease regulations on businesses because we want to have more business activity. And so we're we're all we're with you on on getting rid of regulations that are unduly burdensome on businesses. Besides those three, the remaining every single speaker had a criticism or complaint of some kind. And I'm going to tell you the takeaways. First of all, as I walked up to this church to attend this thing, a gentleman stopped me outside. He was handing out a, um, a flyer with a um, Dr. Burgess's name, Congressman Burgess's name, the poison symbol, and the man stopped me and everyone going and saying, excuse me, 
unless you make $3 million a year, Congressman Burgess wants you to die. Okay, I just walked past, you know, I just said, yeah, right, and kept going. But this guy was probably one of the smarter people there. And I, that still sounds a little bit harsh, but I'm going to tell you what you really heard. And, I, and I, what, if you sat and listened, because I took notes in every single person who spoke, you heard people talking about Obamacare. They had a, all of them had, and these are genuine, heartfelt concerns. They would say, I have a, a grandson who's very ill. He needs a lot of care. I have a, a father, a relative. I've got this disease or that disease, and, and everything's too expensive. No one in that meeting could tell you what they got from Obamacare. They didn't know what was in the re- re- repeal bill that the Republicans are working on. They didn't ask for specific things to be in or out. What you really had the sense was that these people— they just wanted to vent. They wanted to hear someone cares, and they wanted to yell at him. They were just angry, vitriol on the Obamacare issue with no demands other than somehow make it right, fix it, fix it for me. You know, I think on this show we've talked about Obamacare. We've gone through all the detailed, specific things in Obamacare that we wanted to have repealed. You know, we wanted to have the Title I regulations repealed. We wanted to have specific changes made. And honest to goodness, you know, we want a community rating gone, essential benefits, guaranteed issue. We get into the complexities of this. The people at that thing, at that event, would not have followed, did not want to understand. And when Congressman Burgess would answer them and try to explain whatever the issue was, they would boo and heckle and yell and, and just try to shut them up. They were not there for the intelligent exchange of ideas. These were just, you know, kind of the heckler veto type people. They didn't want to let him answer and didn't want to let him talk. And honestly, you, you kind of, I, I left it kind of sad about democracy, sad about the state of affairs in America, because we're not having an intelligent debate on the subject. Maybe in Washington, more well-informed think tank people are. But this, this average American is just there more or less saying, just fix it for me. And so, folks, we can come back from the break. I want to finish a little bit about that because it was really insightful about what really is going on in this great country, America. Don't go away. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Hi, this is Debbie George Addis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm so happy you've tuned in. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Okay, so uh, I believe we have Facebook live streaming now again. Um, so hi, if you're watching on Facebook. And I want to finish just a moment. I do have in the studio with me tonight Kirby Anderson, who is the Right View Roundtable, and will be here the entire time. So I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here. Uh, I love having you. And actually, I, as your listeners, I think a lot of you know, I sometimes join Kirby Anderson on his radio show called Point of View on the Friday afternoon roundtable. Um, or other times I've substitute hosted for him. And just uh, this is a, a very talented, long-term, nationally known and respected um, host. I'm, I'm honored he would join me on my radio show here at uh, America Can We Talk. Okay, back to this town hall. We'll say one more thing about it because it just really um, – it just really struck me. I talk about the show having the purpose of wanting to preserve the great, exceptionally unique nature of America. You know, when you look around at, at that town hall, these are people who were, they, they live good and noble lives. They work hard. 
they they have challenges. I mean, one of them was talking about the challenge of having to pay for um, her uh, grandson's uh, expensive health care. And she essentially said, you know, I can't retire. Uh, we had planned on retiring, enjoying retirement. We have so much expense here. So they really did have challenges. And, and your heart goes out to them. And I think, though, what troubled me so much was they didn't want to talk about the health care bill in terms of, you know, well, what's a good solution for America? And, you know, what what can we do as a policy? Do we really want to go to a single payer, you know, Canada, England, socialist style medicine? Can we work toward free market? It was just a, and you, while your heart goes out to them, you also had the sense that this is America's losing a little bit of that profoundly important founding ideal or feel of America, which is we are a, co- a country of self-reliant people who just have a, um, you know, d- don't have the notion that government is supposed to be there to provide everything for me. Listening at least to this small little subset of people, I would say, you know what, they really, they'd be okay with a single payer system. They don't feel that opposition that so many conservatives to do to the idea of government just taking over the health care system. Was leading my last point about this uh, town hall. Congressman Burgess, he's a doctor also. He has the most gentle demeanor, he, a fabulous bedside manner that words they use about doctors, um, kind hearted. He let them all speak. Uh, he, almost to a person, he answered. One person just got up and kind of bellowed and complained and heckled and, and didn't have a question. And then she just stomped off and sat down. So he just said, next. And and people didn't like the answer of the question. There, But there was no question. But truly, what you saw in Congressman Burgess, he's trying to listen. He's trying to talk. But there was no conversation happening, which leads me. And I did have a wonderful interview afterwards with Congressman Burgess. I don't have it ready today because I didn't have it in, in cue to be edited by the studio and ready to be used today so i'll be sharing bits of it on facebook and bits of it on the show next week but um i think that uh what as a republican member of congress i would do at this point because i think that there isn't really a conversation happening anymore i I feel like what the health care bills become is kind of like an inner tube and you're, you're going along, and the river's moving quickly, and it's got holes, and the inner tube has holes, and you're patching it up here and patching it up there and trying to patch it up again, and it springs another, springs another leak. Obamacare is failing, and even when uh, Congressman Burgess just tried to say that, that it's failing, boos and heckles, they just didn't want to hear that the system isn't working. So I think as a Republican congressman, uh, member of Congress, I would go for full repeal and move forward on a new bill that just does what has to be done. And because I don't think there's any way to pull ourselves back out of this mess that will keep anybody happy. And my other, my last, really last point on the thing yesterday was I truly do not think that Congressman Burgess, it wouldn't have mattered what he said at that that um, talk. And it wasn't just on Obamacare. They had questions on the FCC and Earth Day and climate change and uh, Planned Parenthood funding and, and school choice. But you know, it was a big chunk about Obamacare. I think nothing he could have said, no answer would have made them happy. There was no answer he could offer. So which leads me to say, I think you just have to go as a member of Congress with what you think is right. You have to try to explain to the constituents who want to listen and then go forward with what is right. In my view, the complete repeal is probably the, the best outcome of all. We'll see what happens and that there's supposedly a bill coming this coming Friday. Um, and um, we will uh, 
you know, see what they come up with. Okay, so now I'm going to turn to Kirby Anderson because we I really want to hit uh, this what has happened in the world. Talk about the the world, all sorts of uh, tumult. In fact, I was on Kirby's show on Friday with him, and we were talking about what happened in Paris uh, on the Champs Elysees, and they had a uh, a Muslim terrorist attack a pol- and kill a policeman, and. This is on the eve of the presidential elections, which actually happened today. Paris had their, it's kind of, it's not like a primary, but it was their first election. And they had 11 candidates running for president. They had two that predicted to come out as the, um, you know, as the two top vote getters. And so then it goes to a runoff, which is to be held on May 7th, which is another Sunday. But it was very interesting because this um attack happened on the eve of that election and when they had this um candidate running marine le pen who is a i'm going to i'm going to criticize the media for what they've been calling her they've been calling her far-right presidential candidate but she's essentially been saying why is someone like this guy in this country why why are people who are on terror watch lists who aren't citizens why can't we just send them home so anyway, so she emerged. She emerged, and then the other one who came out of it was the one that Obama's been backing. Uh, his name is last name is Macron, M-A-C-R-O-N. So two of them go to a runoff. So to start with, I think the terrorists didn't realize the elections were coming up or something like that. I mean, it was just really timed, I thought, to remind people in France how dangerous the terrorists have made their country. Good example of where they were trying to disrupt the election but maybe had an influence on the election. Now, let's just recognize that some of her views are, can we use a nice word, iconoclastic or maybe a little bit uh, off the uh, reservation, uh, but, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because they're just, you know, there's some things that I'm sure some of the people in France were just thinking, well, I don't agree with her on some of her stands, but she really began to develop a platform based upon the idea that we have individuals in this country that want to kill us, and why are we keeping them in the country? And so they were willing to overlook some of her other kind of odd views, to put it mildly, simply because she looked like the first person that might actually want to bring some level of order and justice and sovereignty to the entire country of France. And so now we find her in the runoff. We do. It's interesting, though, because in addition to talking very firmly about Islamic terrorism and and trying to remove people if they can, she has she's less interested in the continuing influx of refugees coming into France. And she is more wanting to have the country look at a Frexit, as they say, unlike Britain removed themselves from the EU. And that was a Brexit. And now France is looking at this question. Shall we remove ourselves from the EU? So it's really kind of interesting parallel to to England because the the uh, mainstream or you know squishy moderate candidate okay I'm showing my bias yes. but the, <laughs> but I'm allowed I never say this is a um I mean it's always accurate show but it is a conservative show they had just to light up the candidates for you all they had a far left candidate um who didn't do so well Philippe Puteau whose statement after a policeman is killed by an Islamic terrorist who's already been in jail once in France, who threatened to kill police officers, was questioned in February, and then released. Okay, that. so this is the one who then killed a police officer. So the far-left presidential candidate, Philippe Puteau, blamed—it's like a leftist in America. 
blamed the government, yes. blamed foreign policy, blamed we don't we're not nice enough to yeah, the Islamic right. population in the suburbs. You couldn't make this up. I was wondering if you're going to bring that up because there's a good illustration of looking for any possible solution other than the one that's right in front of you. I mean, years ago, Debbie, we had all these stories about French youth rioting. And even at that time, I said, well, those French youth, they did not have names like Jacques and Francois. You know, they had names like Ali and Muhammad. And I wasn't trying to make a racial or ethnic statement. The reality is the press could not even acknowledge the fact that there are places in France which have a no-go zone. There are individuals that are actually using very radical, virulent kinds of comments that they've either heard from the mosque, sometimes speak from the mosque, and so then to not even be able to cover that then allows a candidate like that to say, well, the reason we have all the problems with uh, some of these individuals that have come here from Syria and Algeria and all these other countries is because we're just not welcoming enough. We're not nice enough to them or because we have a foreign policy where we've agreed with that that warmonger, George W. Bush. And so we've actually emboldened some of these people to come and attack us. But that's not the real reason. I think most French people are starting to figure this out. Okay, speaking of what most French people have put up with, just, and you know, the reason this is relevant to my show, which is all about preserving America, because the parallels are amazing in this election to the political place we find ourselves in America today. In fact, we have a guest coming in the next segment who's going to talk a little bit about this, but just think where the French are. Okay, the French had to put up with the Charlie Hebdo shooting. That was January 2015. 17 people killed, 22 badly injured. And then they've had, since that time, they have had. Over 230 people killed by terrorists in that in that country, Islamic terrorists. And the people are saying, all right, already, you got to stop this. Okay, this mean guy is playing music while I'm trying to talk. It must be end of the segment. Don't go away. Come back. We're going to finish talking about the French elections. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are tens of thousands of Heritage members and supporters in North Texas alone. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates on the fight for America from Heritage President Jim DeMint, plus exclusive invitations to conservative events right here in Dallas or wherever you are in America. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. 
Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informed the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgettis, joined by Roundtable by Kirby Anderson. And we will be joined shortly by John Guandolo, who is the author of a book called Raising, this is a true story, Raising a Jihadi Generation, Understanding the Muslim Brotherhood Movement in America. He's going to be coming to the studio shortly, I do believe. And in the meantime, I want to talk about this French election just as how it relates to America. So you have the... um, moderate candidate um, named Macron, M-A-C-R-O-N. He's endlessly described as centrist and pro-EU. And then you have Marine Le Pen uh, described as a right-wing nationalist and you know, extreme right-wing. And this is part of what the media does. It, we, I always criticize or have criticized the American media, but it's true around the world. What exactly is extreme about the idea of thinking that your national policy in your country should protect the safety and security of your citizens. That's extreme to them. She talks about, and you know, what, in part, in fact, Kirby and I were talking on the break too, what you alluding to all this, you know, part of what is extreme about it is, is that Marine Le Pen dares to say that the problem is radical Islam. She talks about 
the factual accuracy of the <laughs> the reality they've dealt with in France that it is Islamic terrorism that has caused so much pain and death in France. And, you know, after this most recent attack, which was just a few days ago, this attack by a, you know, crazed person who'd previously spent 15 years in prison, you know, uh, in, in France and who had threatened police officers and who was, you know, he was a Muslim extremist. Um, after that happened, the uh, mainstream, alleged mainstream candidate Macron came out with a statement like essentially now let's not get carried away here you know let's not be uh, let's not you know paint a broad brush and then um even the italian prime minister weighed in and said something very similar in fact he said one of those lines we were just talking about about you know you don't want to react to this and you know clamp down on them because that's what they want it's like actually whatever they want we want them out of here that's our answer. Well, and again, I think you have to understand that sometimes there are situations in which what the terrorists want you to do is also what you want to do in the first place. <laughs> and so we can't not do it just because that's what we want to do. To protect ourselves, having sovereignty, having a rule of law are really important. Now, the way Marie Le Pen sometimes says things, and she has these salutes and, you know, she's done yeah. some things that are just, you know, really bizarre, not to mention just uh, some of the things that she said. She's been cited for discrimination, all sorts of things. So I won't get into all of that. But the fact is the French people at the moment are willing to overlook a lot of idiosyncrasies. That's the best word I can come up with so far for her behavior and her uh, some of her views, because they recognize that at least of the candidates we had, she was the only one that seemed really serious about trying to protect us. And, and speaking openly about the problem, I was starting before the break just to say there were uh, Charlie Hebdo, that was January 2015, 17, uh, 17 people killed, 22 injured. You had uh, numerous smaller incidents, only one or two people killed. It's like we are so agreeable to terrorism that we say, well, that was only one or two. That's somebody's mother, father, brother, sister, sweetheart. I mean, these, and so we've had attacks like that. We had an Islamist delivery driver uh, decapitate a man or ram his company van into a gas, uh, the gas cylinders at a gas station. Um, we had 130 people killed in the November 2015 Paris attacks at the Bataclan concert and, and the football match later or the soccer match later. Yes. Um, we had, I'm just going to say a few more, 86 people killed in Bast- on Bastille Day, which is January, which is July 2016. Bastille Day in Nice drove a truck. 86 people killed, 434 injured. I mean, people in France have the same feeling like in any part of the world. Just could somebody please acknowledge the problem and do something? And here's a good example. If this happened in the United States, you know that people would be clamoring for a lot more action. And yet what we have is kind of a reaction in France to the reaction you have in Israel, or at least the way the other countries of the world talk about Israel. You and your husband, I know, have been to Israel, and you know that they're just trying to protect themselves. But every time they react to any of the terrorist attacks, then the whole world says, well, don't do things that are provocative. You know, let's stop the cycle of violence. And it's like, no, only one side is actually engaged in the violence. So you have people in Italy and in France saying to people in France the same thing that some of those people all over Europe have been saying to Israel. And yet you know that if we were in a situation like Israel or we were in a situation like France, the American people wouldn't stand with that for a minute. And so I think the French people finally have said, we've heard enough about political correctness. We want to be able to be safe to go to the grocery store tomorrow.
I love that. I, I love that analogy to Israel. It's exactly right. They're somehow expected to put up with yes. more violence, and they are criticized for defending themselves. So how this election came out, I, as I left the House today, I was checking the last numbers. I don't have them precise, but Macron, who is the you know squishy moderate, um, it got like 23.7 or something. Le Pen had 21.7. But earlier numbers had those flipped, and I think it depended on which jurisdictions they had to count the votes in first because she was getting, as in happens in america the analogies are amazing because macron's getting these city dwelling liberals Mm -hmm. and uh who's you know who just just like in america somehow they just buy in the liberal arguments and and then le pen was getting the um the outskirts so we'll see how that all comes out they're gonna have a runoff and um i just think it's a uh you know the other aspect of it all so much like our elections here and so much like donald trump's um campaign was she, Marine Le Pen, is being criticized, and the term they're using is a nationalist populist. Yes. Same thing they said about, and, and they get right on the edge of saying, well, they don't have, I mean, they probably have said fascist about her, but they are criticizing nationalism as a bad, bad, bad thing. Same thing said to Trump about Trump and Le Pen. And it depends, always, as I get back to it, because I love words, it depends what the word means. Yeah. If you're a nationalist because you love America and you want to be safe and you're, is that patriotic or is that kind of an insidious nationalism? Well, again, nationalism might have been very popular under Napoleon, but because of that, it had a bad feel. Uh, nationalism had a really bad perspective under Nazi Germany. So now that we have this European Union, uh, the probably the most unforgivable sin is what the U.K. just did, and that is pull away. The second most unforgivable sin would be that if France were to do that. And so, again, we will see how that plays out. But right now, we're all supposed to kind of hold hands, sing Kumbaya, and have a united Europe and welcome anybody in that we want to have come in. And I think what you see with her is the same kind of reaction you saw with Brexit and other things where people are just simply saying, you know, this is not the way we want to go. We don't want a united Europe. And so that's exactly what I think we're going to be dealing with in the next couple of years and even in this new election, right, coming up. I most certainly hope so. I have to say when Brexit came along, you know, the idea that England wanted to separate itself from the European Union, it's just amazing how the political sides divided so quickly. And in Brexit, you know, the idea, a huge issue for England was the idea that they wanted to have sovereignty. They wanted to decide who gets to come in, in and out of England. They wanted to decide whether or not they would take more refugees from war torn areas caused by Islamic violence. They've had major challenges in uh, England dealing with, um, you know, Islamic terrorism. Dealing, they had now have no go zones all over England. They have Sharia courts set up. The English people then said, you know, we actually have an English culture. This isn't racial. It's not. Not ethnic, but it is about our culture. It's about our Western civilization culture of tolerance and rule of law and and civility and safety in our communities. And so they didn't like being forced by the EU to accept refugees they weren't ready to handle. So by the same token, France is now seeing this, and there's talk by people in France. And this is again where I think Marine Le Pen. I'm not going to defend every word she's ever done. I don't know why she does a hand signal. It makes people feel creeped out. But I do know. She is willing to talk about French identity meaning something and meaning something historically, a Western culture, a Western civilization, a place where you do not tolerate 
you know, not that they'd never had crime until they had a, an influx of Islamic refugees, but they have had a major problem. If you thought of that country, it's so tiny. I should have looked up the population of France before I got here, but France isn't that big. And whatever the population of France is, if you've had 230 people killed in just two years and all by Islamic extremists, you might end up thinking, you know, we need to do something about this. And so the idea in France is saying instead of letting the French um, government be subservient to the EU, instead of agreeing that the French government is going to just um, going to bow to the EU, what about French people deciding? What about French people deciding uh, whether or not and how many refugees to have and when to let them in? So this is going to be this Marine Le Pen uh, election. I cannot wait. I just think it's going to be very interesting to see what. France does about it. And you're right away, by the way, when the results came out today, as soon as it came out that Macron, the squish and Le Pen had ended up, um, you know, they're going to be in the runoff. There were immediately all of the usual suspects, all the usual liberals and moderates jumped on board and said, hey, let's have um, let's have Macron. We're, we're going to go with him. Ignore that Marine Le Pen. OK, before he starts playing music while I'm talking, we're coming up on a break. We come back. We'll be joined by John Guandolo. Don't go away. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in health care, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private, free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition and the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. 
Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. So glad you've tuned in tonight. I still have my roundtable buddy, Kirby Anderson, here in the studio. And I also am joined this hour by John Guandolo, um, who actually, you were on the show once before. I think you called in. That's right. Yeah. Okay. But it's nice to have you in person. Actually, you moved to Texas, right? That's you, correct. Okay. Well, I'm going to quickly introduce him for those of you who don't know. Um, he, first of all, he has a book, which I want uh, I would urge all of you to uh, get a copy of called Raising a Jihadi Generation, Understanding the Muslim Brotherhood Movement in America. Okay, even the title should bother you. There's a Muslim Brotherhood Movement in America. I don't even think people know that. So we're going to talk about that in a moment. But to just give you a quick background on him so you um, just understand and appreciate what uh, his life experience has um, brought him and enabled him to know about. Um, he is a, a U.S. Naval Academy graduate in 1989. Um, he served in, as in the United States Marine Corps as an officer, commissioned as an officer, served at Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Um, he was also over in 1991 to 96, uh, Second Force Reconnaissance Company as a platoon commander. This could go on a long time, but he's also he's been a combat diver, a military free fall parachutist, a graduate U.S. Army Ranger School. So a lot of serious military experience um, deployed in, um, obviously, in, in the Middle East. Um, he also, in 1996, resigned his commission from the Marine Corps and joined the FBI. And fast-forwarding through a few things, um, he began an assignment in the counterterrorism division of the FBI's Washington Field Office shortly after 9-11. In short, John Guandola, who's here with us tonight, became an expert in the Muslim Brotherhood, Islamic Doctrine, the Global Islamic Movement, movement 
and just a bunch of other terrorist organizations, including Hamas, Al-Qaeda, and others. And the cool thing, why I wanted to have him talk with us tonight, number one, I want to have all of us really clear about the presence of potential uh, of Muslim Brotherhood cells in America. Is it just a um, you know wild uh, kind of far-fetched concern? Is it real? What, what's it all about? And then why in America, if this is if they are here, why don't our our um, security forces, our police departments, know more and understand more about it? Um, and also, I, I will just tell you, his book, I was highlighting and sticking it today. Um, I learned a lot, and I've actually heard, as you know, if you listen to the show, I've had Frank Gaffney on, many, many people talking about these topics. But what really is a, a wonderful thing that um, Mr. Guandola does, he goes around advising government, U.S. and others on matters related to national security, and specifically the threat of global Islam, the global Islamic movement. So, okay, that was a thorough introduction. Are you ready to go home? No, no. <laughs> well, what I want to turn to is just straight out. People don't want to think that in America, with our b- wonderful security forces, our wonderful military, that we could have under our noses anything like what your book title says, anything like a Muslim Brotherhood movement in America. So is that is there really such a thing and what it's all about? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And yes, there is such a thing. And uh, I just think we, if we begin just with the evidence that the Department of Justice and the FBI proffered in the largest terrorism financing and Hamas trial ever successfully prosecuted in American history, the United States versus the Holy Land Foundation for Relief and Development, which was adjudicated in Dallas in 2008. Now, just real quickly, that was a 15-year FBI investigation that spanned across the United States and around the world. And the evidence in that trial revealed there's a massive Islamic movement in the United States, primarily led by the Muslim Brotherhood, and that the most prominent Islamic organizations in the United States are a part of that movement whose stated objective is to wage civilization jihad until they overthrow our government and impose Sharia law uh, here in the United States. Now, for people who think, well, that's they're, they're never going to do that, or they'll come up with a whole lot of reasons why, what I would just offer is be open to the fact that they actually believe they're going to do it. And the way they're doing it is different than the way you think they're doing it. And until you understand it, you need to understand that they're actually beating us. They're winning right now here in the U.S. Okay, you use the expression civilization jihad, which I have also discussed in the show before. But can you just say what that is? So from a military perspective or from a civilian perspective, I'll kind of merge the two. It means they have multiple lines of operation, meaning many ways that they're waging war against our society. So it can be propaganda, and it is. It's primarily information warfare. So they control the message. Uh, It is is actual physical fighting, which we see in both individual jihads uh, here, like the uh, jihadi who was just arrested in Sioux Falls before he acted, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, or... Uh, the jihadis that we've seen in Paris or in uh, the United States from 9-11 to, uh, you know, the, the jihadi in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and all of them in between. Um, they they do it by political warfare, influence operations across the board, many ways that they're doing it. So they influence what goes on in elementary, junior high school, high schools, and universities. They work with the media. They work with elected officials. They have programs to take U.S. members of Congress to Saudi Arabia to show them how awesome it is. 
from a business standpoint. At the state leadership, they take state legislators to Turkey. The Turkish Muslim Brotherhood does that. So, there, I mean, there are many, many lines of operation, and it's all primarily influence operations to control our decision-making process here. Okay, there's so many directions to go, but I want to go back to something you said a moment ago. I'm so glad you're here because this is such an important topic. So I think people hear stories like uh, someone uh, jihadist does something bad and we all condemn it. But right away, people, especially in the left and the media, will say, well, he was a lone wolf. He was a lone actor. And what they don't ever want to get to is it's not that each. Yes, a person maybe didn't call up and get instructions from headquarters that day. But they're all motivated at its core by the teachings of Islam. And that's one thing in this book I cannot encourage you strongly enough to read it, my listeners, because it lays out that that the idea of pursuing jihad is is a core part of Islam. Yes. Uh, you know, one of the things I just uh, was having a conversation with a number of people this weekend, uh, and I like to use school texts as a reference. And so one of the school texts we use is a book called What Islam's All About, which is, is prominently used in Islamic schools here in the United States, here in Texas, and, and across North America, but, but primarily in the United States. And it says, Islam is not a this is a quote, Islam is not a religion, it's a complete way of life. So it's social, cultural, military, political, and religious, all governed by Sharia law. And the same book, which is used to teach seventh grade American citizens in Islamic schools, says the law of the land is the Sharia of Allah and the quote duty of the Muslim is to be loyal to the Islamic state. And so that is what is being taught. And when you break it down, it says that the only way to get to paradise is to become a martyr or Shaheed for Allah. So if that's what they're teaching and that's what the highest schools of Islamic jurisprudence teach, and that's what Al Qaeda and ISIS says, Our challenge from understanding the threats perspective, and my challenge, is where is the other version of Islam being taught? Produce one textbook, one book of Islamic law, and so far the imams, right here in Dallas, as a matter of fact, and in Irving, and across the United States who have challenged us, they don't have an answer to that because they know they can't answer that because this is what Islam is. It's what it teaches. One of the questions, John, I think some people might have in their minds is, well, how do we know all of that? Can you explain the explanatory memorandum on the general strategic goal of the Brotherhood in North America? Because that would help people understand that you really have them in their own words telling us what they want to do. Right. So there's two sides to this answer. The first is uh, one of the documents that was discovered in Annandale, Virginia, by the FBI in 2004 Literally, and and there were thousands of documents discovered in this raid of a Muslim Brotherhood leader in the United States that was entered into evidence in the Holy Land Foundation trial. Again, the largest terrorism financing trial in American history. It said their goal is civilization jihad. It also laid out who they are and what they're doing. And it specifically said that America is a nation that understands organizations. So we have to create organizations to do what we're doing. Well, they identify themselves as the Muslim Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. In the Muslim Brotherhood bylaws, it says the way we achieve our goal of establishing a caliphate, an Islamic state under Sharia, in their bylaws, is to establish mosques, clinics, shelters, trade organizations, social organizations. Well, after the 
memorandum, the explanatory memorandum was produced, a year later, their implementation manual was produced to implement that strategy. Mm-hmm. And it literally lays out, we need to create these kinds of organizations. And then beginning in 1992 and 93 till today, we see them creating between 80 and 100 organizations a year to do exactly what they said they're going to do. And so today we have thousands of Muslim Brotherhood organizations here in the United States in every state. And when we see these acts of violent jihad um, that we're seeing in the streets of America, we can tie almost all of them back to one of these Muslim Brotherhood organizations. So legally we could charge them and shut these organizations down. You know, you mentioned uh, all these organizations, and one that always seems to escape scrutiny by the media and the left, in fact, is touted as a very positive one, is CARE, which you talk about in this book. And I want to just, we have like a minute and a half, a little less than that in this segment, but just CARE is tied to the Muslim Brotherhood. Is CARE is not an independent standing uh, moderate organization, correct? It's- yes. So first, I would encourage people, go to understandingthethreat.com, and on the homepage is a link that says Care is Hamas, Hamas being a designated terrorist organization. So it lists a lot of the factual evidence. I would just say this. The U.S. Muslim Brotherhood, on orders from the International Muslim Brotherhood, created a Palestine committee here, which was Hamas in the United States. They created four organizations. One of those was CARE. The government has identified CARE as being part of the Muslim Brotherhood's Palestine committee, which is Hamas in the United States, a designated terrorist organization. You know, this is so hard for our listeners. We're speaking with John Guandolo, and we're about to go off on the top of the hour break, but we're going to continue talking with him at the top of the next hour. This is so hard for people to imagine because CARE is touted as some an organization that is to be, they're standing up against discrimination. They are standing up for the uh, poor Muslims being mistreated. And honestly, the book, the research done by John Guandolo uh, listed in this book, described in the book, Raising a Jihadi Generation, it's just invaluable. So I encourage you to get the book and don't go away because after the break, we'll keep on talking with John Guandolo. Don't go away. We didn't do enough while we 